Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider I'm Dapper Dan Kavazdin, and uh, like always, I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Not a best-selling book, Dan. Really? No, but it's best-selling in my heart. That's good to hear. <laughs> well, uh, I love it, too. Anyway, uh Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the 11th episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and for this first season of all-new Amazing Spider Talk, we've been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run of the title, Last time out, we talked about all the major stories that have been remixed for the origin story of Spider-Man. But this week, we're going to go back to a different direction, and we're going to talk about the story that ended Ditko and Lee's run on the book and inspired countless additional stories. Yes, we're talking about the mystery of the Green Goblin's identity. And, and more specifically than just the identity, we're talking about that mystery itself, the lead-up to the reveal how have mysteries become an integral part of Spider-Man? And for that, we're going to be talking about the entire Steve Ditko and Stan Lee run on the book, but most specifically, Amazing Spider-Man numbers 14, 17, 23, 25 to 26, and 37, which is the first appearance of the name of Norman Osborn, if you really want to count that as a significant milestone in this Saga, which I guess it is, Mark. I would agree. And Dicko, despite all the speculation of the contrary, would ultimately say he would agree too, I think. I think so. So let's get right into it. Our Green Goblin mystery episode. We were trying to show how strange events can affect people and, and how sometimes people act in an irrational way. And the most important thing to us in our stories is to give you, the reader, a whole group of characters who all act differently, just the way in real life you take a lot of people and no two of them will ever act the same. And that's why we have 
a Norman Osborne, who's a wealthy, successful businessman, but he still has has a screw loose up here somehow. And and his son, who really isn't as bad as Norman, but wants so badly to impress his father that he goes off the deep end and he's willing to do something bad to impress his father, which of course he should not do. And we hope that's, that it's obvious to the viewer that these are people who are somewhat mentally disturbed and they're certainly not characters to emulate or to imitate. I thought I would lead the uh, listeners in with a little bit of uh, history and context for what was going on here in um, Amazing Spider-Man at the time that the Green Goblin was introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 14. Of course, uh, all you out there who have your copies of 100 Things, uh, Spider-Man Fantasy Known Do Before They Die, there was a whole chapter dedicated to the Green Goblin mystery. So, uh, you know, for the Cliff Notes version, you can reference that. Right, Dan? Absolutely. Uh, the, <laughs> be- the best-selling novel. The, the best-selling novel. Um, but uh, as we've talked about um, a couple times over the course of the season, um, actually the original Stanley pitch for the Green Goblin when he was conjuring up the villain was that he wanted uh, a movie crew to accidentally discover a reanimated uh, sarcophagus. <laughs> so kind of like a mis- uh, ancient mystical demon. Uh, Ditko, who always kind of advocated for, you know, keeping things grounded in reality when it came to Spider-Man, uh, thought it was absurd and instead kind of countered with, well, what if we did a mystery angle that, you know, long running mystery villain uh, that we would kind of drop clues and whatnot over the course of many issues before revealing him as somebody. Now, did this so, predate the Crime Master? It did predate the Crime Master. So there you go, uh, the first real mystery in this series. Yeah, the first true mystery, and and it was supposed to be a mystery, and I don't know if they had ever truly agreed upon when the mystery was going to be um, revealed, but it, you know, it was by design going to be a long-simmering, you know, uh, mystery angle with red herrings, and, you know, so, you know, We've seen this a lot of times in, in future Spider-Man stories, and we'll talk about that. But, like, what what we've seen since then, I mean, like that, like this, very intentional. That's I guess that's the, 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 the point here. It wasn't like they were necessarily spinning their wheels. Now, you know, you, you, you read some Dicko essays, and he says he knew from the get-go who he wanted it to be. Others have vehemently disagreed with that account. We can can or can't get into that, however you feel like talking about it, Dan. But just in terms of the case for who was the Green Goblin, I mean, this character is first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 14, shrouded in mystery. You know, you see kind of see his face in shadow the whole time. And then each subsequent appearance, you kind of get a little bit more detail, although not necessarily detail in terms of possible people he could be um like for example uh amazing spider-man number 17 the second appearance uh we learn that he's got this very large lair that's filled with like this very high-end expensive 
one of a kind machinery and, and, and technology. So, you know, you're, you're kind of saying, all right, he's, he's an industrialist, probably he's wealthy. Um, guy's got money. You know, I, we got like scenes of him out on the street in a, in a business suit and a top hat and things like that. Or not a top hat, but like a fedora. Um, so again, like kind of painting the picture that he's like a member of the elite class. My favorite that, machine that he owns is the face covering machine that always seems to be deployed at the exact right time. Exactly. Cause it's, he's just brilliant in that regard, a brilliant industrialist. And then like in amazing Spider-Man number 23, which is his third appearance, the, the goblin is like bragging about like how his, his ultimate goal is to take over New York's criminal underworld. So, you know, again, we don't really at this point still get a sense of, well, who could this guy be? But um, there was like certainly like the idea that this character was ambitious. He was cocky. He was arrogant. Um, and I think it was after this issue that like the fan speculation started to run rampant, which is what led to the crime master Green Goblin storyline in Amazing Spider-Man 26, 27. Um, I think at that point, like there were fan letters. People thought, well, J. Jonah Jameson was a very popular fan choice for the character, which I guess would have certainly been an interesting angle, right? Yeah, I'd like to see that one. And um, the whole the whole point with the crime master thing, I mean, the you know, the, there's that great splash page of Amazing Spider-Man 26 where, you know, there's like Spider-Man sitting on the question mark with you know, who, who's who is it is who's the crime master? Who's the green goblin? What's, um, what's his name's role in this whole thing? The big man, um, Frederick Foswell. Yes. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing, I'm losing my Stanley alliteration. And of course the big joke in that story is that the crime master is ultimately unmasked as a nobody, which we've talked about in past episodes and the goblins mystery continues. And for, for all intents and purposes, that's the actual Amazing Spider-Man 27 is the last appearance of the green goblin during the Lee Dicko run, you know, only to put a pin in that because, uh, about 10 issues later, the second to last issue of, um, Amazing Spider-Man uh, this, that Dicko had worked on that we are introduced to Norman Osborn and, you know, just some key things about Norman Osborn was, you know, Dicko talks about, well, I, I even gave him distinct hair. So there was, there's always been, a, there's a reason for the hair. We finally learned <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to draw attention to the character and he, and you know, the fact that he was the son of, um, Peter's classmate, Harry, in college, he thought that, you know, it was a, a character with a personal connection. And in that issue, I don't know how recently you read it, Dan, but I mean, Norman's a bit of a creep in it. And there's definitely something often odd about him. Um, and he actually did appear in the um, the first Crime Master issue, but just he's unnamed at that point. But the character is there at like a gentleman's club. Correct. With Jameson. Yeah. So, you know, again, kind of placing him in that in that zone. So, again, we know that he's wealthy, elite and stuff. So, like, this whole thing about, well, how well did they build this mystery? I mean, we, we can we can certainly argue about that if we want to. But, like, certainly kind of I kind of feel like that 
that second to last issue of Amazing Spider-Man that Roger Stern worked on during the Hobgoblin mystery where all of a sudden like all this like Roderick Kingsley stuff started coming out of nowhere. <laughs> like it was like, oh, crap, I got to start actually like baiting the mystery here. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you, you, you kind of got a sense that that was going on here with um, Amazing Spider-Man number 37 and Norman Osborn that there was kind of a all of a sudden this big info dump. But then Ditko famously left the book. And never did the reveal himself. That was left to John Romita uh, and, and Stan Lee in their first issue together, Amazing Spider-Man number 39. And, of course, who was the Green Goblin, Dan? It was Norman Osborn. It was the butler. No. <laughs> so, you know, that's just kind of the, the, the background of it. Again, we talked about this a lot during the Ditko uh, expose, if you will, that we did a few weeks back. This kind of myth that Ditko left the book over the Green Goblin, it was, it's one of those things where I think it was, you know, Stan Lee, his quote-unquote faulty memory came up at, at, during an interview, and then the, the, the story from there just kind of kept perpetuating. And I think even, like, Ramita at one point kind of spread the story a little bit. But um, others have kind of debunked it, and Ditko himself has debunked it many times, of course, not in a in a – true interview but instead in the essays that he writes that are available if you know where to look so i don't know if you want to like kind of dissect that more if you have a an opinion on that dan but i mean it 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 still is interesting to me though to like kind of look at this and be like but how well did they actually build this mystery but also how this mystery has kind of served as a template for future mysteries in spider-man yeah, I don't know if I really want to get into the whole, like, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko breaking up over this mystery thing. It It is kind of become like a he said, she said kind of situation where, you know, this kind of myth or, you know, whether it is a myth or not grew over the years. I was just watching today the wonderful documentary uh, from the BBC, uh, The Search for Steve Ditko. And in that video, even Casada admits that he's heard this myth, and Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are talking about this divide that was created by the Green Goblin, you know, and and the identity. And so, you know, it's reached the upper echelon of, you know, comic creators and fans and even Marvel. So, like, there's no real, like, way that I can say it's true or false, given that, you know, the people involved themselves have said that it's false and so I don't know. It's just going to be one of those things that goes to the, the ash heap of of history, I guess. No one's ever going to be able to definitively claim one way or the other. So yeah. that's less interesting to me than like what this story, you know, did as a template. And we had talked previously in our the bad guys episode uh, about you know the reveal of the Green Goblin and what that ultimately meant for the future of Spider Man. That it was a someone we knew versus someone we didn't know. And I think surprisingly you and I came down uh, and said, you know what, actually it's the person we didn't know that ended up being a bit more of the template for these reveals um, than the person that has been well integrated into the cast. Um, but I want to talk about like today about how the mystery serves as a storytelling technique in Spider-Man because honestly that's the more interesting thing. You know, like I rarely end up caring about who the person is under the mask but it's the fun of the guessing that makes it really enjoyable do you agree with that 
I do. I, 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 I think I think that certainly there's a joy to guessing that. But like there's also I think a there's a thematic kind of poetry to it, too. And and, you know, tell me if you think I'm going too far off the reservation here. But, you know, you know, one of the 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 true defining characteristics of Spider-Man as a hero is, you know, the way the character is designed and treated, you know, while yes, we, the reader know who he is under the mask, there is a mystery to him as a hero. Like it could be anybody under the mask. And that's what makes his story all the more improbable that it's this teenage, you know, wallflower, um, who is picked on and outcast at school that ends up being this, this incredible superhero. And it's because of the, the mysterious kind of unnerving aspects of the character that he is also within the storylines always portrayed as a possible villain and a menace. And, you know, cause we just don't know who he is. Not that, I mean, the Fantastic Four, their identities are always out. But, I mean, secret identities, for the most part, in Marvel are, you know, at least during the Silver Age, most characters had secret identities. I mean, even, you know, Batman and Superman and in in the Distinguished Competition, they had secret identities. But the fact that Spider-Man is fully covered and, like, it's just, I don't know, like, there's, there's more mystery to him as a hero than I think most other heroes does that sound like a stretch yeah absolutely that that sounds about right uh how how does that work its way into the enemies do you think well i think that you know while in some semblances you know we we certainly explored this during like the the jms ramita run about like kind of the the totem the, the totem qualities of heroes and villains and like you know you're you're an eight legged animals so that you're going to attract like-minded villains and that's all well and good but for all, I mean the green goblin is recognized as as Peter as Spider-Man's arch nemesis and and isn't there kind of a bit of symmetry to the fact that yet yeah, no the goblin is not a eight-legged uh animal like an octopus but the character was introduced from the beginning as this kind of mystery that and not only just a mystery but like it literally could have been anyone you know which is again part of what makes spider-man so unique it can be anyone under the mask we like everyone was treated as a suspect and because everyone was treated as a suspect it really was difficult to ever truly pin down um who was there and it probably would have been a bit of a letdown if it was someone so obvious as a J. Jonah Jameson or, you know, Flash Thompson as the Green Goblin, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, there was supposed to almost be a quality of a, well, of course it wouldn't be someone that you really were suspecting. I mean, you know, we had just met Norman Osborn before the character was finally revealed, but like it, it, it's, it's not so much uh, the fact that it was that Norman Osborn became Norman Osborn, but it was that, it, again, it kind of accentuates that idea that it can be anyone. It could be someone that's close to you in a way you didn't quite realize they were close to you. So that's like the Harry connection. So I like again, like I, I feel like in its very own roundabout way, whether they intended to or not, like th- this mystery feels very much at home in Spider-Man because it kind of ties into who Spider-Man is as a character. That's really interesting. Uh, when, when we were t- discussing this topic. Uh, to build on what you said, like I was thinking about other superheroes who you know might use the mystery element, and I was thinking about Batman. 
you know, the self-professed detective in detective comics and how very few of his villains are actually mystery characters. I can think of like the biggest one perhaps being like Hush and that big story around who is Hush and the mystery of Hush. Um, but so many of the characters are, are, are known for their kind of, you know, uh, uh, alternate identities from the get-go. Even, even the Riddler, you know, Enigma, we know him, you know, uh, right. straight away, you know. And that's funny to me that he, as a detective character, doesn't really rely on this trope too much, other than maybe that Hush storyline. And, and I guess a few of his kind of like, you know, stories where it's like, okay, there's a big bad behind all of these people that are attacking me. Who is it? But it's not very often like a who is the guy behind the mask mystery, which is what we get in Spider-Man. And, right. But Spider-Man himself is not a detective character. And it got me thinking about how these stories were told. And very um, infrequently is Spider-Man actually interested in the mystery. He's never really trying to discover who the person in the mask is. It's really the audience that is wondering that. You know, I guess Spider-Man might wonder who the Green Goblin is, but the tease is really for the audience. You you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Spider-Man is so often just trying to stop them, but there's never detective work being done by him. And I, I find that so interesting that it's up to the audience to piece it together, and it's very rarely... Peter Parker's MO to figure it out. What do you think about that? No, it's very interesting. And again, it's kind of reflective again as, as to what has always made Spider-Man unique as a character, because again, like in the, in the audience, it's always about who is the mass menace, but like outside of the green goblin, the other, you know, Spider-Man's rogues gallery isn't sitting there being like, you know, who is this guy? They're just trying to do their thing and they get, ticked off when spider-man interferes you know what i mean it's it's the audience that watches spider-man do do his work uh within the comic that wants to know who he is and is intrigued by the mystery of it so again it kind of plays off of that angle a bit yeah i was just trying to think like of any instance where these masked characters pop up and spider-man does like proactive work to figure out who they are he's mostly just reacting to them at any given time. So it's like, it's weird that this mystery element has so taken over Spider-Man, but still remains almost like a B-level plot within the book, even though it's like one of the biggest draws to this title, uh, which I guess we should talk about how much mystery is a draw to reading a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, I mean, the the fact of the matter is, Dan, I mean, this... This storyline, I mean, in addition to, I mean, I do feel even if the ultimate reveal was maybe without the power of hindsight wasn't like the most brilliant reveal ever, I still feel like this is like a well done, slow burn story, like like well executed, right? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, they certainly just kind of bring you along far enough to keep you guessing, but not, you know, not without really getting frustrating about it. <laughs> um, but, um, it only lasted like two years. Well, I mean, I guess that right. seems like forever now. Like, right. Right. Could you but imagine the s- if the man in red thing lasted two years? Right. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, 
this yeah like i mean you mentioned one the man in red i mean this 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 template has been reused so many times in spider-man like like and far more than i mean you mentioned you talk about hush and batman but like i i can't think of any other hero that i mean not even talking one mystery villain but so many of these mystery villains i mean like you know maybe every hero's got at least one or two of these stories but like you know we were kind of going back and forth over text message to about, you know, to make sure we covered them all. And then we were even kind of saying, well, does this one count or does that one count? And, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, but like, you know, off the top of my head in terms of like characters and, and storylines that I feel truly were reflective of the green goblin mystery. So like these were villains that were introduced First, without any kind of um, clue or semblance of who it might be and and trying to figure out who exactly they were was a big part of a of a of the story's game, you know, like so um, who was the who was behind the mask or behind a certain thing? Uh, so there was the third green goblin, which ended up being um, the the psychiatrist uh, Bart Bart. Is it? Finkel, Fink, whatever, Bart something Bart or other. Bart Fink, right? is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Bart um, Hamilton. Bart Hamilton, thank you. And then, of course, the, the, the more famous one was the Hobgoblin. But even before that, like going back into I, – I, I skipped a big one here, Dan. Like the probably the first long-running mystery um, that followed on the heels of the Green Goblin one was who was the Jackal? And Jerry Conway – who created the character? I mean, he he even cited the Green Goblin and the Crime Master stories as as his inspiration. He thought it was really cool that Spider-Man in the Dicko Lee years had this like mystery villain angle, and he wanted to do his own version of it. So, uh, you know, it would make sense that you know Jackal was introduced in um, Amazing Spider-Man number one twenty nine, and you know he kind of started out as being the guy behind other villains that were appearing like the Punisher, the, the, the famous Grizzly, um, one of the greatest villains of all time, probably. <laughs> um, sorry, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> um, before eventually it was revealed. And again, it was like a character that we knew about and was from Peter's past, but like miles Warren, you were kind of like at the time, like, Oh yeah, I think I remember him showing up once or twice, right? I mean, like, <laughs> didn't really think he was a villain. He just kind of was like, "Who was that guy?" Um, so, you know, we had that, but then of course, then there was Green Goblin three, the Hobgoblin, which I, I, you know, I'll save that for season four or five or whatever ends up being my obsession with the Hobgoblin. Um, that will be a then- whole season. Yeah. <laughs> Prepare your bodies, everyone. Exactly. The how many how many seasons can we get? Um and then kind of even jumping around more like into the nineties, we had Who Was Kane? Um which I actually think ended up being a pretty well executed villain mystery, despite the fact that like the character's like subtext was basically put on the page all the time, much to Howard Mackey and Terry Kavanaugh's chagrin. <laughs> like, we need a character that's tormented by pain. So we're going to write. So some editor is going to write on the first splash page. I am tormented by pain. <laughs> I'm Kane. <laughs> and then, of course, there was, um, oh, the Rose during the same period as Hobgoblin. There was 
uh, in the brand new day era, there was a ton of mysteries. (laughs) There's the spider tracer mysteries. Who was jackpot? Who was menace? (laughs) There's the goblin king, of course, from the superior Spider-Man era. There is the man of red from the clone conspiracy. Although man of red is a tricky one because you and I even talked about this while that story was unfolding where, where at one point I even started arguing. I'm like, is this actually a mystery? Because I don't feel like this being is being treated in a mystery the way that like the Goblin King was, you know, where like we kept getting like these check ins and the character was either in shadow or without his mask. But we couldn't see who he was. I mean, they were kind of like trying to like, oh, it's just a jackal with a new hairdo. You know, <laughs> he's he's got a new mask now. Um, but but is there any other big ones that I'm I'm not thinking of here? Well, um, you know, I was thinking of the Rose, uh, you know, a- alongside the Hobgoblin story. There's also the Sin Eater. I don't know if he necessarily had a huge mystery behind him, but certainly an intriguing fellow that showed up. And then my favorite mystery of all is Facade, or, <laughs> or, or F-A-C-A-D-E, if you want to spell it out like they do in the books. Um, that was never actually revealed um, due to whatever story you want to you want to hear about it. You know, I remember as a kid uh, picking up those facade issues and really loving them and feeling like I missed an issue somewhere because it was never revealed. And it just for for like a decade, I felt like I had missed some special king sized issue where it was revealed at, only to find out, like, in, I, I relatively recently, when Dan Slott was making fun of Facade, that, uh, oh, it was never actually revealed. So I felt like this great stress off my back and subsequent <laughs> frustration that I had invested so much of my young energy into my disappointment in the Facade mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Dan. If you need a hug, I understand. All right. Thank you, Mark. And all of these, in their own way, I would say borrowed liberally from the Dicko Lee Green Goblin story, right? I mean, there, I mean, some lasted longer than others. I mean, certainly like the Hobgoblin and and probably the Jackal and the Goblin King and Menace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are by and large the most significant borrowers, I would say, from the storyline, right? Yeah. Do you have a favorite one that you actually like? I mean, I know you love the Hobgoblin, but do you have a favorite one that you feel like it was handled the best, like, of all these mysteries? Well, that's an interesting question, Dan, because it's like, you know, and again, I know you don't want to, like, dwell on who was ultimately revealed as the Green Goblin because we've both talked about it and also others have talked about it to death. But, you know... In setting the template for this story of who is the villain, it could be anybody, it ends up being anyone. I mean, it's like very few of these stories that have followed the footstep have really truly been a reveal where you're like, holy crap, what a great reveal, right? I mean, it's just kind of like there's always just kind of like a, oh, element to it. (laughs) Um so no, I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, the hobgoblin I love talking about just because of 
how the politics behind it just made it such a bizarre story, but not because I thought that the review, I mean, the Ned Leeds reveal was kind of dumb and obvious in a weird way. And then like the fact that they had to like redo it. I mean, Roderick Kingsley made more sense because it's what Stern wanted to do, but it wasn't like, uh, again, it was kind of like, Oh, Roderick Kingsley, that guy, you know, like I'm guessing that you're loving, maybe you didn't even see this, the solicit in spectacular, that suggests that Ned Leeds is coming back and that there might be some twist surrounding Ned Leeds' death not being his actual death. Did you see this you know, yet? I have not seen the solicits. Oh, that should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, the next annual, is going to be all about this. Oh, uh, boy. So there you go, Mark. Uh, annuals may be counting again. Uh, I have a favorite. What's your favorite? I think the best handle of all of them, even over Green Goblin, has to be Menace. Uh, I think it's a genuinely compelling mystery, how it's tied into this election. And the reveal I found really satisfying. It both made sense and, uh, you know, had a pretty dramatic, you know, like effect on our supporting cast in a way that Harry you know, the, the reveal that Norman Harry's father was the Green Goblin did. You know, now we've got Harry's fiance um, and all the implications that, you know, that carries with it, including for the election. Um, I just felt like they planned this one out well. There was good teases throughout. And yet you never really felt like you knew for sure who it was, which often is the case for these things. They like introduce a new character and you're like, well, it has to be that new character that was introduced at the beginning of the story. But I don't think any of us truly ever could say for certain that Menace was going to be Lily Hollister. Yeah, no, it was good. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with that. It was well handled. I mean, I think some of the stuff they did with the character post-reveal was a little icky and weird. So that kind of diminishes I agree with it that. a little bit. I agree with that. Um. But yeah, I mean the 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 actual mystery itself was was well handled. I mean, you know, this might sound crazy, but like I mean, of the other ones that we mentioned, I really like how Kane was revealed. I felt that there was, you know, it it tied into this crazy story in a, in a logical way, as logical as the Clone Saga could ever be. And you know, the character as the character is being revealed, he also gets a moment of redemption, which I thought was well done. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw my hand in on that one. So of the, um, you know, Spider-Man storytelling tropes, which we discussed in an earlier episode, where does the mystery like fall for you? Is that one of your favorite things to read in the pages of Spider-Man? <sighs> yes and no. I mean, it, it's so familiar and like, it's kind of like up oh, here we go again. Here's going to be another mystery. Let's. I wonder who it's going to be this time. But the same token, because so many of these reveals are kind of not botched, but just kind of eh. Like it also feels a little. It, it could be a little tiring. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't mean to kind of be a letdown with that, Dan. It's just. But I mean, what? I mean, what about you? Is I mean, do you think is this like something that you look forward to, or do you kind of? I mean. The fact that when we were discussing Man in Red, that I was like ready to like concede, this is not a mystery. They wouldn't do another mystery. They just did a mystery. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Man in Red was kind of tiring 
especially because of how it was handled. But I, I think back to the superior Spider-Man days and the Goblin King and the fun we had speculating about that. I, I have to admit, I find the mysteries really fun to kind of like, it's almost like a test of my Spider-Man knowledge and how much I can kind of figure out the writer based on, you know, all of my reading through the years. Um, the reveals very rarely live up to the mystery, which is, I think, why I like the Menace one so much, because I felt like it kind of did, even if subsequently they messed up the character. I, I have to admit, I like it. It's like a pop quiz on my Spider-Man knowledge in some way. Can I place it together based on the clues I'm given? Um, but they do get tiring. They need to be, like, paced appropriately, and they, you do need to have some kind of confidence in the writer, you know what I mean? Like, after the botch of the Goblin King, like, it was hard to give a lot of credit to Dan Slott that he might pull it off again with the man in red. I think if the Goblin King hadn't been so botched, we would have been a lot more excited about the man in red story because we'd be like, oh, you know, like, this is one of these. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by them, but I have grown wary uh, of them because, I mean... I'd say nine out of ten times they're botched. <laughs> Even the best yeah. ones are botched. Like, the mystery of the Hobgoblin is probably the most fun thing to read in Spider-Man comics. Like, the, 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 the issue to issue, who is this guy, is a blast to read. Um, and we've gotten a decent reveal in the subsequent years, but, you know, it's like, it's almost more fun to get that tease than, you know, to get the ending. It's like when a movie comes out, you know, a trailer's released, and you're so excited for the movie, and the movie ends up being disappointing, you almost don't feel that bad because you're like, I got to have fun, you know, speculating about what this movie could be, you know, before it came out. So is that how you feel about Force Awakens, ultimately? <laughs> it was a fun to, to, to dream about it? No, not really. So maybe, yeah. maybe I'm, maybe I'm lying, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm all hyped all over again for the last Jedi. So I'm a, I'm an eternal sucker is what, what I'm going to say. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we, we, we can have our movie debate another time. Anything else about the mystery you want to hit upon before we transition out? Do you think these mysteries, um, uh, like are used, I mean, I, I think they are largely used for this, but like, how do you think these mysteries have impacted the legacy of some of these characters? Like, do you think that it artificially inflates the value of characters over others in the, in the Spider-Man, uh, enemies roster? I mean, I don't know if you would say artificially, but like I, you, you do have to treat a lot of these villains that are introduced via a mystery that there's more of a special attraction quality to them. I mean, you know, again, we, we talk about how much we love the Hobgoblin mystery in the beginning. And, then, and you know, on on its face, the Hobgoblin is just, you know, a, a, a knockoff of the Green Goblin. But because of the special attraction quality to how the character was woven into the story, he instantly got elevated. And I think that's, that's appropriate. You know, like, if you're going to kind of do build a mystery and really put effort into creating this aura to a character. The character should be, should be elevated as a result. I feel like, you know, the Jackal is kind of one of a small handful of villains from kind of like the post 
Silver Age to stand the test of time, probably because of the mystery attached to the character when it when he first came forward. You know, like it certainly wasn't the costume. No, sorry, sorry, Ross, Andrew, and Jerry. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some characters here where you're kind of like, you know, would they even matter at all if like there facade. wasn't a mystery? We're still thinking about facade. Right, we're still thinking of facade, or like even like the rose. It's kind of like you know. The Rose was more or less a way for DeFalco and, and friends to not completely blow off Roger Stern's vision for the Hobgoblin, but to still, you know, to still be able to, like, go in their own direction. Because, I mean, the whole thing with the Rose was it was supposed to be Roderick Kingsley and uh, the Hobgoblin was going to be revealed as um, Richard Fisk, Kingpin's son. And instead it was... Well, it wasn't the completely the other way around, but you know, it was Roger Kingsley was going to be the hobgoblin at, at the end of the day. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, what I mean, do you disagree with that? I mean, do you feel that some of these other characters? I mean, I, you know, I'm 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 gonna always feel a little more intrigued by a mystery villain than like another appearance by Electro or Sandman. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, like I said, I have fun with these, you know, and. Uh, you think about like what they actually did. Like, what did the Rose ever do to Spider-Man? Were they ever really in the same room with each other? Like outside of a handful of times, right? Um, and right. yet, and yet, we really like the Rose. Uh, but his impact was minimal. It's the mystery. That's the fun of them. Is the mystery? Absolutely. And also, mysteries are perfect for se- sequential comics. I mean, you have to sustain something. Why not have that sustainable thing be a mystery? Yeah, definitely. And and the way the these stories always seem to be you know spaced out, you you know, you might miss like a mini arc within the arc, but you could always catch back up again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, and and to all of you out there, thanks for joining us for our 11th episode of our first season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Uh Dan, our next and last episode of the season will be in 2 weeks, December 15th. That's also when The Last Jedi's coming out, Dan. Whoa! Like, are you even going to be able to record for this, or are you going to be camping out getting your tickets? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I already have my tickets, so luckily uh, it will be saved. But our listeners will have to make the hardest decision of their lives. Do they listen to our show or go see The Last Jedi? Or just listen to our show in the line for The Last Jedi? Yeah, I was going to say, why not both? There you go. There you go. But anyway, what's going to be the the title of that show, Dan? Yeah, um, you know, going going back to uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, the the next episode of our show is going to be called Best Run Ever or Greatest Run Ever. Yes, we're going to be going back to discuss whether or not the Lee Dicko run is the best run in comics ever. Which I, I think it might be. Uh, and even better, we're, we'd love to host your feedback on the show. So uh, we want to know, what did you think about this season of our show? What did you learn about the Lee Dicko run? And, and, and what are some of the reflections you've had? And do you think this is the best run of comics? And why or why not? So uh, shoot us an email 
at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or call us on telephone with our hotline, which we haven't said in quite a while, Mark. It's 9REDGOBLIN. Yes, dial 9REDGOBLIN and leave us a message on the answering machine to play on the show. Again, you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or telephone us at 9REDGOBLIN by December, the let's say the December the 11th, uh, and we'll feature it on the show. And don't forget to tell us your name and where you're writing or calling from so that we know who and where you are. And, uh, yeah, it'll be on the show. We're going to do those again. So, uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. Last week, Dan, you and I, we reviewed Amazing Spider-Man number 790 and Spectacular Spider-Man number 6, where Peter made a stunning revelation that will likely forever change his relationship with one of his most important supporting characters. So this time... Uh, we're going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 791 as Peter starts his first day back at the Daily Bugle as their science editor. And uh, remember, everyone, just for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you will get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, mailbags, and more during the off weeks in between our regular episodes. And for $10 or more a month, you'll be sent exclusive commission artwork in the mail every six months. What's better than that, Dan? And by the way, Dan, where can we find you on the social media? All right. Yeah, you can find me on social media on Twitter at SupSpiderTalk. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our Facebook pages and discussion groups by searching for Amazing Spider Talk on Facebook. There's a lot of awesome conversations going on there. I actually recently just found what I'm calling the first official in-canon reference to Papa Jonah. What did you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I, I gave many, many thumbs up in your menchies on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be from Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 20. Papa Jonah is name-checked. And, uh, Mark, I'm just going to say it. Uh, Ryan North definitely wrote that in there because of us. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, no evidence of that. No evidence of that. But it would be really funny if he did. Well, our reviews have ended up on the back of a couple of trade paperbacks, so you never know. You do never know. What about you, Mark? Uh, other than those trade paperbacks, where might we find uh, y you on the internet this week? Well, um, you can always find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog and you know, find me when I do get the urge to write on Chasing Amazing Blog and SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Uh, Superior I misnamed our site dan terrible terrible uh and of course you can continue to order your book 100 things spider-man fans should know and do before they die there was actually a cyber monday deal on it on amazon i don't know how much i should be promoting that because i think from a royalty standpoint i get a smaller cut of sales but uh it was they were practically giving it away dan <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to uh, mention again, because oh, we've forgotten to plug it, the Ultimate Spin Podcast, our brother-sister's show all about uh, Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. I've been making a lot of appearances on that show covering Spider-Man 2 and the, uh, the huge disappointment that that is that book. Um, <sighs> and also talking uh, about... Bendis' departure from Marvel, which is a big piece of news that Mark and I really haven't discussed, 
but you can find out my opinion um, on it there um, in that podcast. So I highly recommend The Ultimate Spin for uh, all your Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen needs. Mark, I, I sense that you are also disliking Spider-Man too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I have been kind of sitting on the fourth issue uh, for over a month, obviously, because the fifth issue just came out, right, on Wednesday? or Yeah, um, uh, like a couple but... weeks ago. <laughs> a couple oh, no, no, weeks no, no, the fourth issue came out. The fifth one's like delayed, I think. Oh, I thought I thought I saw it in somebody. Well, whatever. Point being, <laughs> I finally read it today, like on the subway. And I just like I'm like, what the hell is the story even about? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like, bad. It's, it's, like it's really. And, you know, I do hope, Dan, and in all seriousness, you and I can have the Bendis talk at some point in the near future, either as a Patreon or whatever. But like, you know, it's like it's really le- leaving such a bitter taste in my mouth about Bendis and his legacy on this character or, you know, both characters, I guess you could say. And and that's disappointing because, like, you know. If you would have told me 10 years ago, oh, my God, Bendis left Marvel for DC, I would have been like, oh, my God, it's horrible for, for Marvel and it's horrible for Spider-Man, you know, like and and like, you know, the the, Coen's, the the fact that this news is happening as this series is coming. And I'm just like, all right, man, see you later. <laughs> like, <laughs> and this is the best we got, like this story that all these years in the making, like and I, I, I mean, you know how every preview page is Peter saying, Oh my God on the internet. And I'm still like, what's the, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) What is the, Oh my God. Well, speaking (laughs) of Peter going, Oh my God. He said that at a very specific moment when he heard that his uncle Ben was dead, but we also learned a, you know, a very important lesson, Mark. And that lesson is, that lesson is you're the master of transitions, Dan. And with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. 